and he was like, all right, let's, I'll let you know when I'm home and showered and ready to go. And that was the last thing I heard. <laughs> I was like, come on, brother. What are you doing? Oh, that's okay. talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind usually over hookah enjoy and they Hello. have Hello, sir. hey nick how you doing hey i'm exhausted how are you doing <laughs> <laughs> i am not exhausted <laughs> that's good yeah you look at you look tired uh this is me in a better space than i was you should see me when i came home <laughs> I've showered and soaked my feet for a half hour now, so I'm in yeah. all things considered. We were just talking about um, uh, Matt. Matt had a couple of questions that I could only sort of answer that I'm sure you can answer better about homeless populations in York and oh. stuff like that. I'll do my best. I've only been here for a couple of days, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're go keep going, Matt. I'm sorry. You were you were t- oh, no, I was just saying that, like, well, Ethan and I were talking a little bit about um, how there's stations set up with, like, you know, facilities for sanitation, hand washing facilities and restroom facilities, and that they get vandalized by the local businesses, of course, that don't want uh, that don't want that homeless population there. And I find it kind of difficult to believe or not, not difficult to believe, that's the wrong way to put it. I mean, I find it almost offensive that, like, we're a society that has so many resources available that we can just use um, for things like, uh, my wife is an avid hiker, right? And there, there's all these leisure facilities all, all over the country along, in the middle of nowhere, that have probably better facilities than what are being provided for people that are truly in need of them. You know, I find it hard to believe that the resources aren't available or the resources can't be made available to make those um, a little bit more permanent and a little more safe. About funding and how it's allocated, right? And it's also about who's lobbying for or against that. And um, people don't like the homeless and people don't like to do anything that helped them. Are we, is this, are we in the episode? <laughs> yeah, well, no, just, we were, we were just BSing before we started here. So, we, uh, we're recording though. So like, it doesn't have to be I just didn't episode. know how detailed I needed to be for the listener. I don't well, know. Every, every, everything is, uh, everything is submissible to evidence at this That's point. True. That's right. That's right. Uh, listeners of Hookah Chats, we are, we are here. We have our first ever guest on Hookah Chats. It's true. Um, it is uh, Nick, who, if you are a listener of What the Hell is a Pastor, my other podcast, um, you have heard Nick's voice before. I've also told stories about Nick. Nick is my best friend um, and, and is a listener of, I believe, both uh, shows, but I could be wrong. 
Oh yeah, um, I'm a little behind on this one right now. I got to catch up, but I definitely listened to both. That's good. And uh, we brought Nick on. Uh, a, actually, the beginning reason why we brought Nick on was because I was telling Matt in the last time Matt and I recorded that Nick was coming up with a religion based off of J.R.R. Tolkien. And, and I was like, yeah, he's, you know, Nick's, Nick's going for it. And, and Matt and I were talking about it. And Matt's like, well, I kind of want to hear about it. So I, I'd like to know what's going on with that. And so we'll probably talk about that. But, uh, but Nick, uh, can you introduce yourself? What, what do you do? Uh, that's a good fucking question. Um, <laughs> it does vary day to day. Uh, so I, I recently left pastoral ministry uh, in the traditional sense of being up front and preaching at a congregation like Ethan does. Um, and I took a job doing uh, street outreach to the homeless of a city in Pennsylvania. I don't know. We'll just keep the name out of it. I don't know. Um, and I've been doing that for like eh, a week at this point. So it hasn't been long. We do. Uh, it's currently July and it has been hot as Satan's testicles outside. Um, so every day I've worked, it's been in the nineties and then, uh, the humidity has had us more in the like hundreds mm -hmm. uh, with the humidity being factored in. And so what that means for, for me and our other friend, Jory, who works with me, is that Jory and I go out as a pair and we walk around the city and we check in on all the unsheltered people to make sure they're okay, make sure they, you know, live through the night is part of it, but also um, to let them know what the weather's going to be for that day because it's really important to people who live outside unsheltered to know what the weather's going to be like that day. If it's going to rain a lot, we try to get them ponchos. If it's going to be super hot, like it has been right now, we take them water. So what that means is that for the past few days, Jory and I have been walking several miles through the city, uh, dragging coolers full of ice and bottles of water because we can't drive them to the places we need to go necessarily. So like we just have to walk with them uh, with backpacks on our back that have all kinds of gear and stuff that they might need. Uh, that weighs uh, like 20 pounds. And uh, I'm out of shape from 10 <laughs> years of sitting on my ass, reading books and doing ministry. So I'm dying. I'm dead. I'm dead now. There are blisters all over my feet. I'm sunburned everywhere. Uh, I make jewelry stop so I can take a break and drink a whole bottle of water constantly. <laughs> uh, um, it's a pretty pathetic thing to watch, but we're, we're keeping people alive. So uh, it's important. It's good. And I'll get in shape eventually. And that's basically what I'm doing right now. Uh, we're also trying to move into a new space. So we're kind of moving everything over to the new space as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more that we do, but that's been the bulk of the work we're doing right now. Well, it's uh, important work, especially given the the current situation as far as the weather's concerned. It's It's been hot, man. Uh, I don't envy your position walking around uh, long miles with heavy packs and toting heavy coolers, but I'm sure that the people that you're helping appreciate it. So <laughs> some do, <laughs> some do we're dealing with like, you have to understand, like there are a lot of resources in cities to help out with people 
to get them like food and shelter and try to get them into jobs, get them into housing. That's not what we do. Right. What we do is we're like the last line of defense. So we're dealing with the people who get kicked out of shelters, who literally can't get into jobs, can't get into housing. So we're with like a lot of schizophrenic people, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, severely addicted people. Um, just there's a lot of irrationality. So, you know, we don't do it for the appreciation. They don't all appreciate us. Some of them we have to like make notes for ourselves, like stay away from him today. He's, you know, he's not going to want to see you, you know, right. <laughs> but you know, they, there's literally when this was started up by, uh, the person who started it, who is Ethan's mom, I'll, I'll sell him out. <laughs> Ethan's mom started this up. And when they started doing this, there was literally nobody at all going out and doing this part of homeless outreach. They were just waiting for people to wander in off the streets, basically to these resources to know that they need help, but they didn't know the resources were necessarily there. Um, They didn't have anybody looking out for them. And so, I don't know, since this organization has started uh, death, homeless death has gone down significantly uh, through COVID and everything like that. They got them all vaccinated super super fast. It was really incredible. Um, makes me believe in God again, in some ways to (laughs) how fast they got the homeless people to actually cooperate and get vaccinated. Um, so they're almost all vaccinated, which is crazy, but yeah, like this past winter, they didn't lose anybody in the city, not a single person over the winter. That's incredible. Which is nuts. Incredible. That's absolutely nuts. So we're, you know, we, 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 we see the fruits of our labor in those numbers. More than well, it's, it's nice to know that, that, that somebody is out there looking out for people that have bigger problems and whether or not, you know, Mr. Potato Head has a dick, you know, right. so it's, it's nice to know that, uh, that those people haven't been completely forgotten. It's really interesting being in this world now, as opposed to being in regular ministry world where like I come out of seminary and we were at a liberal seminary and everybody's like super PC and worried about all that stuff a lot and like i don't know when you're out on the street with people there's not a lot of time for that if you're in a community where a large part of the unsheltered people are in the lgbtq community you have to be more careful about pronouns and things Mm -hmm. like that but our community is mostly older addicts and people with mental health issues and we're not seeing a lot of lgbtq youth around here and so like things like that, that I've spent a lot of my effort and energy learning and putting effort into, and it just doesn't matter. They don't, they don't give a single fuck. Well, yeah, because they, they don't have the luxury of being able to, to care about some of that stuff. I mean, no, they don't, they're not worried about who they're sleeping with. They're worried about where they're sleeping, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, although there plenty of them are worried about who they're sleeping with. (laughs) Uh, It's a thing. We do hand out condoms. (laughs) But yeah, it's just been an interesting culture shock to get out there. And it's one thing to hear about it all. It's another to get out and actually like be with people. So right. it's been a whole thing. Anyway, that's a very long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> it was a good one. No, I we, we appreciate it here at Hookah Chats. My question yeah. is, how do you go from uh, seminary and being a pastor and having a life in the United Methodist church to um, wanting to start your own religion 
<laughs> and how do you start your own? Can you really call it your own religion if you're basing it off of someone else's work? Ah, uh, she clarified. That's that's really not happening at this point. Like so, so. Oh, but it should just, be. It should be. <laughs> it's just been a, a a stage of deconstruction in my life, right? Because like. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I grew up more atheist than anything. And I came into Christianity late. And then I was, as soon as I came into the faith, I went right into leadership, right into ministry. It's just kind of been like everything really fast, lots of ministry, lots of like, you have to lead people, not a lot of time to do the kind of self-reflecting um, that's really necessary for believing. Um, and I, that's not to say I never believed in God. I definitely do. But you know, I left ministry and I don't have to perform for anybody. So I got to ask myself the question, like, what, what does any of this actually mean to me? Yeah. Right. Like we went church shopping a little bit in this area where we live now. Uh, it was miserable for a while, like going into churches hits every millennial anxiety that exists. Um, it, it, it's, it's just suffering. There's just not a great way to get around it. It, you could be the most progressive church. You could align with me yeah. 100% on beliefs and it would still be miserable because just the, the structure and framework when you're not in leadership and you're not just being introduced to the congregation as the person they have to listen to. It's so awkward. It's so awkward and it's so uncomfortable. Um, and so like, I don't know, one week we just didn't go to church and I was like, okay, what does that mean for me? And I was you know, I didn't go to church that week, but I went to Ren Fair that week. I love Ren Fair. I grew up doing Ren Fair stuff. I grew up very interested in paganism and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, and so I was joking around with Ethan and our other buddy. And I was like, let's just make a, a religion out of Tolkien. It's all there. He's got it all put together. We were joking around about it for a long time. And then Ethan sobered us up about it. I was like, okay, know, well, and now hang on a second. Here. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. <laughs> No, because I, I just want to say you're you're right though. Like it's like you know, putting just some like fun exploratory shit aside, uh, and just having fun with creativity aside, uh, religion is ultimately more meaningful to all of us than just making up a silly thing. Um, so that made kind of had us taking a step back. We were getting caught up in the adrenaline of joking around. So, uh, <laughs> but you can defend yourself, Ethan. Go ahead. I was just I I wasn't attempting to ruin anyone's fun. I was just like it became it it became clear to me after a little bit in the midst of this conversation that like we had moved away from fun and joking into into what what we usually get into when we become super obsessive, which is well, how are we going to structure this now? Well, let me think about this. Well, when we when we court donors, what do we say? You know, what kind of literature should we have? And I'm like. Hang on a second. Are we like doing this? Like that's all I just wanted to know. I'm like, if we're gonna do this, like that's some time. Like, so help. here's the but, thing, Matt. Well, obviously, I that... thought I thought you were you were going for the next L. Ron Hubbard or something. <laughs> right. It's all there. This is what's so interesting. I, let me just nerd out for a minute and talk about. <laughs> Please do. That's why I wanted to have you on. <laughs> so, I, so I did all this fucking research. This is let me. Uh, it's a long, kind of a long story, but I, I'm just gonna go for it. Um, Good time. I, I have to. I'm I'm presiding over my cousin's wedding coming up really soon. And uh, I'm not a pastor anymore, which means I'm not licensed to do that anymore, which means I needed to figure out how to make it so that Pennsylvania would recognize 
my signature on their document so that their wedding was legal, essentially. And you thought, and, I've got it. Well, um, because Pennsylvania <laughs> no longer, it's kind of contentious in, in Pennsylvania about whether or not online ordination is recognized or not. Right. And I didn't want there to be any dispute at all. So I'm like, okay, online, that shitty online ordination thing, out of the question. Um, so what are the options? Um, and I was like, well, what does it look like to actually start a religion in Pennsylvania? It's so easy. It's so easy. <laughs> it's stupid. It's a single form that you fill out. Most states have a separate form for 501c3s and for religious organizations. In Pennsylvania, it's just one form. Right. Uh, and there's all kinds of vagueness and broadness about who's a minister because of Quaker laws and all that. Right. Um, because we're a Quaker state. We, right. were, we were founded by Quakers. Yep. Um, and so like Pennsylvania is so weird when it comes to this and it's so hard to pin down like a straight answer. So I was like, okay, well, the safest thing to do is just fill out the form, create an official church. You just fill out a 501c3 form, say you're a religious organization. You have to attach another piece of paper that has some basic tenets of your faith. And that's it. Like, then you're just, you're it. And then you can say anybody's a priest or, or whatever that you want. Um, and I'm like, well, this is stupid. This is easy. Uh, and so we were like, what are we going to make it? What are we going to do? Cause we could do whatever the fuck we want to do with it because there's literally no guidelines on it. So that's how the token thing got started. Um, in my research of all of that, I was also researching, has anybody done this before? Can we just join a token church? Like how is there no token church at this point? Right. If you can study Tolkien in college as a class, I'm sure that you could more than that, there's an entire field of study. There's an entire, entire uh, like uh, uh, professional journals out there yeah. uh, about Tolkien and his work. And it kind of breaks up into um, Tolkien studies is like an official thing that you can yeah. do. Um, and there's a thing called. Um, fuck, I'm going to get the name wrong. I think it's just called the Tolkien Society. Um, and I went and I joined them because it's easy to join. Uh, and I, I was looking through their stuff. And if you join the Tolkien Society, you have access to just like years and years of academic work on Tolkien's work um, from people who are very well esteemed in the Tolkien community. Uh, people who are like recognized by the Tolkien estate as being uh, um, stewards of the linguistics uh -huh. of Tolkien and things like that. And it's crazy. They have they have uh, annual gatherings uh, that have rituals and traditions. Yes. Yeah. But they are not a religion. They're not a faith. Right. It's purely academic. And it reminds me a lot of anybody who claims to be a druid legitimately mm -hmm. tends to. And we're not talking Wiccan. We're talking druid. People who tend to claim druidism. Uh, tend to talk about it as an academic pursuit more than a religious pursuit. It's mm -hmm. about sharing knowledge, sharing information, keeping it secret away from powers that be or whoever, passing it down through the generations. A lot of times uh, people who are Druids say they're a part of these groves that have been going on for you know hundreds of years that they have all this, which is bullshit. But that's yeah, how they were made up in the 60s, but okay. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's how they talk about it. And it's less religious even though it's religious, but it's more around the academics. That's kind of how the Tolkien Society works, right. um, is very similarly. But I looked it up. There's like, there is one group on Facebook that has like 80 people who follow it. 
that is like the church of Tolkien or something like that. <laughs> and they, they, they set it up to say, like, as far as I know, they have no 5013, no 501c3 status. Uh-huh. Um, but they just, they're like, no, uh, Tolkien received divine revelation from the angel Gabriel. And everything <laughs> in uh, the Silmarillion happened before the flood. Uh-huh. They, they say it they're like it's all stuff that happened before the flood and was lost to humanity until it was revealed to tolkien uh, and he wrote it down and that's, that's what they do. that sounds very hubbardy yeah and 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 <laughs> yeah. that's like not even what we were talking about when we were joking about it uh not even a little bit like that's like going full drink the kool-aid crazy <laughs> right. um, i mean there's fanboys there's comic-con and then there's our story originated before the flood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, but they have, like I said, zero following. I mean, they're a nothing thing. And so I was like, I mean, there's a whole, I guarantee you, you start a more legitimate church of Tolkien or call it whatever you want to, where you worship Eru Iluvatar and uh, the Valar and people will do it. Absolutely. Because people it's so well constructed. It. It's so well constructed and so in depth and so well thought out and um the mythology that tolkien came up with isn't that far away from i mean it could very easily translate into you know greek mythology north mythology christianity judaism they all share the same elements if you were to if you were to you know encounter a, a lost tribe in brazil right and 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 do missionary work and use the Silmarillion as your Bible, it would seem every bit as plausible as, you know, uh, the earth being created in seven days or, you know, any of that other, any of the other, you know, creation myths that are out there. I mean, it's just as complex. It's just as nuanced as a lot of those legitimate religions, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's so there's another tradition called Unitarian Universalists, and they are kind of they're a they're a whole thing. And uh, but they I, I end up sound every time I talk about Tolkien and trying to use Tolkien's work as a religion, I end up just sounding like a Unitarian Universalist because I'm like, well, we just we're human beings maybe what's a real true foundational belief i believe there is a god that creates the world okay that's really simple tell me more well we don't have much more literal founding but like we understand the world around us that this god created through like stories we're all storytellers humanity is storytellers so like why not use the stories of tolkien like any other story to understand the world around us what are the valar if not just manifestations metaphors for the different parts the different facets of the one god who tolkien just calls eru luvatar right uh and so like you don't have to take them literally in any capacity you say look we believe understanding the world understanding god is something we do through storytelling and a metaphor and we don't have to take it all literally and be crazy about it and we're choosing to explore themes about humanity god this world around us ethics through the stories and the narratives of J.R.R. tolkien um using the figures that he used to create his world and his languages and his structures which was very catholic in its creation um very catholic and very norse 
right. uh, in a lot of ways kind of coming together. And that's fascinating. And it's fascinated people. And it doesn't carry the baggage of Christianity in our, in our era, right? Like I'm all for using Christianity to understand the world around you, but that carries so much baggage right now. Sure. Uh, in America, you, you, you have to, you have to, uh, I, I feel like being the founder of a religion based on Tolkien's work would be a little less stressful. Don't, in a way you're talking about the baggage, but you don't have to, you don't have to rectify anything. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You can, you can come out day one and explain like the purpose of, of our exercise is to explore these facets of humanity using these illustrations as a as a uh, a means of communication with one another and you don't really have to back it up you know with yeah. christianity there's always somebody standing there going wait a minute that's not right or i don't believe that or that's wrong or, so there's a lot less baggage with Tolkien. yeah i'm more worried about the abuses that have come out of it which, which is true for any dominant religion in any society right like it's not like christianity's unique in this or that it's only Christianity that's ever been bad in history. It's just that in our location, in our culture, in our context, Christianity is kind of a boogeyman. And well, boogeyman makes it sound like it's fake. Well, There's but real that, abuse. But it's, you know? but it's been it's been in authority for it's been the the source of, of power for governments and the source of power for you know regimes for sixteen hundred years. So I mean people take it seriously you know they don't take tolkien seriously they take christianity very seriously and that's part of why i wouldn't want to use tolkien ultimately is that like if i was going to do stuff religiously like if i was going to make a little side business out of doing like weddings and stuff and i was going to talk about god in any capacity and do that stuff i wouldn't want it to just be silly you know <laughs> i'd want there to be a certain seriousness to it right and like ultimately the christian narrative is close to what i think about things you know yeah. um i hate the term christian only because of the baggage it carries uh right. not because i think jesus wasn't real you know i i do tend to believe the claims of the apostles creed and i'm saying it's so defeated because i just wish i didn't because some things would just be so <laughs> much pretty easier. funny that's that is very nick mcmike oh didn't mean to be your last name that's a very that's nick uh, last name redacted uh, thing. Uh, that's that's been your uh, as, as somebody who's known you for a very very long time. That that tone is the Nick tone when talking about Jesus. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I suppose so. You know, like like I. I get it. I understand. There's a lot in the Bible I think is fucked up. There's a lot that's poorly understood, mistranslated. The literalism pisses me off. Um, uh, I don't know. So I'm still fighting with whether or not I want to call myself a Christian at this point or not, because I just, I believe those things, but I don't know that I want to be associated with everybody who believes those things. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So um, the term Christian itself is is something that chased me so like i probably am gonna file uh this paperwork to start a religion in pennsylvania at some point but it will be pretty christian in its basis and it's gonna be literally just for practical purposes of presiding over weddings um and doing stuff like that i'm not gonna have 
big cult gatherings or anything like that. I'm not forming some weird commune. I'm not doing... That's that's kind of disappointing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, here's the thing. You know, if I didn't take this job that I have right now, I'd absolutely do that. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I can would. see how that there could be some cross contamination there that well, might be problematic that, in your professional like, life. <laughs> it's just that, like, when you get out on the street and you start doing some of this shit, and you start seeing what like real issues look like for people at the most basic level, the most human level. The idea of doing some of the weird cult shit that people do, harmful or not, yeah. it feels very privileged and silly. Um, and I don't know. It's more like I, I come home exhausted. Uh-huh. You know, I get up early in the morning. I get up at six o'clock in the morning, 630 in the morning. I make sure I eat food so that I have energy in my body, drink some water. I get to our home base, wherever that is. And we start walking and we start going and that goes until five o'clock right. uh, in the afternoon. And then I come home and I have to take a shower because I'm so thoroughly drenched in sweat that I can't like move. <laughs> and I got to get my boots off my feet before they like my feet catch on fire. And then right. I got to right. soak my blistered feet in the tub for a while. And right. then uh, I have to make sure all the dishes are finished being clean. So they're clean because I have to hand clean my dishes right now. And then we have to make dinner. And my wife is currently making dinner as we do this. But like normally I make dinner. So I got to make dinner. And then we sit down and we eat dinner. And then like, I just want to pass out. <laughs> I don't really have time to like do religious shit, you know, like real religious shit. Like I feel like. Well, I feel like if, if the religious shit is that much of a burden, um, then you're not really into it anyway. <laughs> so maybe uh, set that bag down. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I thought this when I was a minister as well, is that like the work I'm doing now feels way more holy than any of that ritual stuff at all, which I've always felt since I was in like high school, you know, I've I've always felt that way. But, you, you know, our society and the structure of Christianity is such that like you get manipulated very quickly into like fall in line with the structure. you got to do right. the thing, cater to rich to mid- middle-class rich white people, um, sell your soul. <laughs> well, <laughs> well and, all, and Ethan, Ethan knows this well from talking to me. Um, my views on rituals are, are just, they are um, Cliff's notes. They are shorthand. They are um, ways to um, participate that don't require you actually thinking. They don't require you actually participating. They just, they just, they're, they're an attendance policy in a way. Um, there's, there's something to ritual for sure that I like, even in what you're saying, like one of the things I always liked about ritual is that like, you can show up every week and say the apostles creed and never consider the words ever. And they can mean nothing to you. Right. And then suddenly you find yourself in a moment of crisis. And because you've ritually done these words for so long, they come to you in this moment and suddenly they gain meaning in a moment where it really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and ritual can do that. It can plant those seeds in your mind and be there to help get you through really tough shit. And I think that's great. And like, even with what we're doing now, we're going to develop rituals, you know, with being yeah. outside, even if that's like, it doesn't have to be superstitious stuff, but like 
I don't know, we start here. We go up this direction first every week. Why? I don't know. It's, it's just become the like best yeah. path. Well, that's take, less ritual you know? and more routine. That's well, not... Routine is, is not that different from ritual. Um, ritual is just routine with some meaning to it. And it's yeah. not unlike Jory and I to put a story to everything we're doing, no matter <laughs> right. what it is. So like, why do we go up this way? Ah, well, you know, at this time of day, the, the trolls come out under the bridge over here. So we have to <laughs> get away from them. Because we're just dumb and it, it gets you through the day, you know? Right. It seems like summer's the worst. Yeah, sure. It seems like the heat and the humidity of summer is the worst. Every uh, homeless person I've talked to, we joke about it. And I'm like, you're ready for snow? And they're like, yes. Well, the, you can always put more clothes on. You can only take so many off. They're like, I can survive the snow all the time, even though we always end up with hypothermia cases and people die in the winter. But like, boy, the heat is a whole fucking demon of it's yeah it's crazy yeah yeah anyway, so yeah i have another question about uh i i, I have another question about the token thing i'm going to stay on this because i'm a giant token nerd so if you if you were going to um found a religion based on token to marry people <laughs> how would you handle wedding rings Well, there's already uh, poetry out there adapting uh, the one ring, which is crazy to me. We take the one ring poem about how it binds people to like evil and yeah. we turned it into a poem about love and people being bound together. And it feels a little weird from like a, a religious studies perspective, but well, it's not any know, different than changing a psalm into something that it didn't originally mean. And that's, that you're not it. wrong. You're not wrong at all. Song of Solomon gets used in weddings all the time. And that's just about animalistic sex. So, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I don't know, maybe that ties in, but uh, yeah, it, it's, um, there's already stuff out there. That's the thing. You're going to have oh. to do something besides rings, though. I mean, it's just too demonized. There's, there, there's, you'd have to do so much poetry, and Tolkien was enthralled with love as a concept. Yeah. Uh, all you have to do is find the story of Baron and Luthfield, mm -hmm. yeah. or Aragorn and Arwen, which echoes it. And you can, I mean, good Lord, there's no, there's no shortage of things you could use to quote. If you were going to stick to the Tolkien side, like... Just because you made a religion around Tolkien to get sanctioned by the government doesn't mean you have to do that in the wedding ceremonies. Yeah. Like you could, because the nature of the religion, as I was understanding it, would be more about whatever stories help you understand the world. Right. Um, you could theoretically do anything the bride and groom want. You know, uh, well, we really like this book series. Would you read some passages from this book series? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Okay, it's a story that helps you understand your love between one another. Why would that be bad? Um, and, and yeah, you just put it that way. It's, but it's, I mean, this is no different than what I did as a Christian minister. You have to have a conversation mm -hmm. with people. Most of the people who come to you who are getting married aren't Christians. Right. Their grandmother <laughs> Christian church. Right. You know, so you sit down with them and you say, okay, like, I have a Christian minister, so here's some things that, like, are kind of necessary according to the denomination. 
uh, that I'm going to say, they're really vague. I try to keep it as vague as possible for you, but like, what do you want? What are you interested in? Do you want hymns? Do you want, how religious are you feeling about this? Uh, how much does God play a role in some of this for you? How much does not he? Is there anything you want read here? Doesn't have to be scripture. What poetry do you like? Do you have a, you know, quote from a movie that you really respond to, you know? Right. I did that as a Christian pastor too. Like it doesn't make, it's a moment for them. Right. To bind themselves to each other. It's not about you, the pastor, the person overseeing it. It's about them. So sure. just keep that in mind and you're fine. Christians are just so zealously our God or nothing that we tend to think like that. Like, well, could you get around not doing your religious thing in their thing? Well, yeah, why not? Um, yeah. I don't know. That's that that strikes me as something that comes from the fact that our Western civilization is heavily influenced by the Christian worldview, you know, Um, which, again, I both in and not in at this moment. So uh, I think like the pre-marriage counseling would be fantastic. I mean, you could explain to the couple that, you know, if at some point in the future their marriage does dissolve, they have to go on a nine-month trek and throw their rings into a volcano. That's a you good know, idea. That might keep people together. Oh, you know, man. they might have an opportunity. That is to a like great re- idea. Rekindle their rekindle their relationship during this arduous journey, right. so fraught with danger. And it would only matter if they were devout to the church, though. Yeah, that's the thing. You have to be devout to the Tolkien church because you can get a divorce without any religious. Yeah, but wouldn't it be cool if you had to actually destroy the rings to do it? I bet people would do it. You know what's funny is I bet if people took that seriously and did it and they had to go on like a month long, like you have to take off work, you have to go on like a month long journey together to this place (laughs) and do this thing. Like, and I I wonder how many marriages it would salvage by the end. That's what I'm saying. I think that you could really, you know, you could have some Frodo and Sam moments there. Or they Those hobbits are gay, and you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> well, that, that, there's no reason that, that you know, same-sex marriage can't be a thing in the Church of Tolkien. No, absolutely not. Well, and that's, I was joking, my other joke to Ethan was that I was just going to call my my church to Pennsylvania, I was going to call it the Big Gay Church, just so that I could, like, market myself as the guy who does gay weddings. Uh, because I, I thought that was a lot want to get married. I thought that was a really good idea. I mean, yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that like particularly if you're going to have a little side hustle with marrying folks, which I, which I'm a hundred percent in favor of, like I would do that. Like, like I said money, you know what the wedding industry is like? Yeah, I do. I (laughs) was in it for three years. Like, like I know exactly what it's like. You're back in the game, baby. Well, that's true. I'm back. I'm back, baby. Um, But I, I, uh, I would totally, I'd be like, yeah, man, market yourself that way. Big gay weddings, big gay pastor, big gay weddings. Are you really gay? (laughs) I'm not really gay, but I can pretend to be really gay. <laughs> I'll be as gay as you want me to be. I don't yeah, care. How much you pay? What do you want me to do? You want, want me to wear full drag? I'll do it. I don't care. Pay me $500. I'll be there. Well, I mean, how much can a, how much can a gray robe cost? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. I, I think you should pursue down. this, man. <laughs> I mean, I got my gray wizard's hat already. So, like, we're halfway well, there. You go. Yeah, we're, half, we're halfway there. You just need a long white beard. Well, that's the hard part. I can't that's grow a beard for shit. I have tried. <laughs> it doesn't work. I get this shitty little goatee, which I keep, and then that's it. That's about what I can get. So 
it's a it's a point of great shame for me. So Ethan's gonna be a Jedi. You're gonna be, you're gonna be gonna one be of the Mayar. Well, see now the Jedi already exist. That's already in order. That already uh, yeah, that's already international in, in Europe. Is the Jedi. That's a whole international. Wait, wait, what? The yeah. Jedi Order is a whole international religious organization already. That's a real thing. Oh yeah, yeah buddy. buddy. Oh, that's God. the first I'm hearing of it. Oh yeah, man, it's everywhere. You, you could join right now. Yeah, you could absolutely. Wow. Join right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the. <laughs> I have enough problems with Christianity. I don't need to go. <laughs> you talked up to those crazies. The Jedi Order sounds like a good idea until you realize it's just uh, colonialized Buddhism mixed with the shitty, some of the not the less shitty parts of Christianity uh, for white dudes who want to swing uh, light swords around. Which right. uh, I'm all for lightsaber fighting and having a good time, but I don't know. Again, there's a privilege to the whole thing that feels a little silly. <laughs> Right, right. It, listeners, Nick and I, when we were in college, Matt knows this. I don't know how many stories I've told to Matt, though. But when Nick and I were in college, we took a, uh, a Tolkien class in college. Um, and uh, it was a big class. It was a religious studies and English crossover course. And so we had a, a number of English studies majors and and then a handful of the religious studies majors. And then just people who took the class i guess you know on a goof you know i don't i don't really know exactly why but um i don't think i've ever taken a class that pissed me off more uh than than this tolkien class just sitting there with these simpletons you know with these with these buffoons you know <laughs> who are that like they, they only saw peter jackson's movies and they yeah who are like who are like pretty clearly not doing the reading for the day and like coming in and like trying to talk to us like like and and it was so like me and nick and then we had a, our buddy herm was in that class with us and herm was just like totally incensed the entire class mike and paul were both in that class that's too. right our 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 nick and my roommates that year uh mike and paul were in that too paul mike mike took it because he was an english major uh, and he loved us and he wanted to take a class with us before we graduated. And Paul took it because Paul was a religion major and loved Tolkien like us. And uh, I remember one of the like the first days of class, I forget what the comment was, but somebody made a comment that that everybody was like, oh, that was really interesting. And then like me and Nick and Paul and Herm were like, nope, that guy's a dummy. That guy's a complete <laughs> fool. I think that guy uh, should probably be thrown into jail. Like, 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 and that's that's what we think. And that that evening wasn't Turin Turnbar right? That well, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. What's Turin Turnbar supposed to do? What's he has no option. He has no choice. He has to fuck his sister. It's like <laughs> he had no choice. He had no choice. Well, that wasn't the day. The one day I forget what the comment was, but like we're in our room, you know, we're all going to bed. It's dark. And Paul, who had been relatively quiet all day, from the darkness said, do you remember, guys, do you remember when such and such said this in class today? And we were like, yeah. And he was like, I was going to kill him. <laughs> I was going to I was going to kill him with my own hands. You know, <laughs> I'm you like, have to. The context for that is that Paul is like a really mild mannered guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really calm, soft-spoken kind of dude most of the time, and that just like came out. We were like laughing our asses off. Yeah, he's like, 
I would kill him. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill that guy with my bare hands. Like it was it was so dumb. Like it what what a dumb class. One of the uh one of the times we're going through the appendices in Return of the King. And uh there was this group of girls, and I'm I mean no disrespect to the women in, in of the world, they just happened to be girls that 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 said this comment. It was like two or three of them in the back of the lecture hall. And uh, our professor, Dr. Long, was like, what did you guys make of some of these stories in the appendices? You know, some of them are pretty interesting. Am I right? And they were like, they were like, Dr. Long, we didn't like the story of Aragorn and Arwen. <laughs> oh, why? Well, they didn't die together in the end, like in the notebook. And, and, and we're just there's just a hush. And we're all like in the front row. <laughs> like trying to like trying to hold it together herm is just shaking his head like oh my god like <laughs> oh my. and so was the professor the, the I, there's like a moment where you can see rage cross across his face and he gets it together and he's like okay tell me more <laughs> interesting it's like, shut like just throw them out throw them out of the <laughs> class jeff yeah come on jeff long these well people. you do realize that there was there was five people in that class that took it because they wanted to and the rest of them are all just trying to check a, a box for their for their i know <laughs> i know actually the funny thing was like there was a day jeff, jeff uh, dr long threw the class a bone and was like we'll have a movie night i almost blocked oh. us out entirely and we're going to watch the films and and the five of us are like may we be excused from this please <laughs> like, like i do not i've already seen this movie like like i i like it it's not that i hate it you know but like was this before or after the hobbit movies uh long before Okay, it wasn't because it couldn't have been that much before because the hobbit movies, the peter jackson hobbit films were I'm pretty sure the first Hobbit movie didn't come out until we were already in seminary, bud. You think so? I guess that could be true. We can look it up. Yeah, I'll look <laughs> it up. I looked that one up. But no, like, like we definitely didn't see the Hobbit movies. I know that for sure. We definitely didn't go see the Hobbit. Um, it was just, it was tough. Uh, there was another guy in the class. He doesn't listen. His name was Joe. <laughs> Joe Bomb. Um. This, this gentleman in class, he uh, slept. He slept pretty much all through class, uh, all the time. And what do you I think? Have a, I have a thing to, to say. I remember now, as I looked at the date, the first Hobbit film came out in 2012, which is when we graduated. Right. So it hadn't come out yet. But I remember we knew it was coming out. So we were getting hyped about it coming out. Right. Because yeah. all the like, controversy around the hobbit films had come to an end and they were making the movies mm -hmm. so this was in the the innocence of our youth with the excitement right. before they they actually were right. released yeah before it all crushed us nick has not seen the last hobbit film out of I managed to flight. avoid it you haven't missed anything oh, I'm oh aware. it's bad the last hobbit film was, was i did subject myself to the first two and after the second one, I said, I will not see another single fucking second of this. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. Um, but but this guy in our class, Joe Bomb, this is another this is my favorite moment in class. One of my one of the two favorite moment in classes, because this is this is the day that I I almost like turned around and yelled at and yelled at somebody. Joe Bomb is sleeping. He sleeps the entire day. We call him Joe Bomb because 
that's the combination of his first and last name. Joe Baum is sleeping the entire time. He does not participate. He does not say a word because he is asleep <laughs> for the whole class. Suddenly raises his hand. He sits behind me, raises his hand. Dr. Long's like, oh, Joe. And I'm like, oh, Joe's awake. And Joe's like, <laughs> I think, uh, I think um, Don Bombadil is Eru the one. <laughs> now, we have just established this. The context for this is Jeff, Jeff, Dr. Long and a bunch of us have already had a long discussion about how Eru is actually not in the story like no. he's, he's he's in the Silmarillion he's not in the story he's in the back if he's there he's in the background he's invoked we also just had a very long discussion about how in Tolkien's notes he basically just says I kind of don't know what Tom Bombadil is yeah. he's probably a Maiar right. like, we had like, to do oh my god it frustrates me because he this had nothing to do with the class this was like extracurricular we were like hey Dr. Long, we were pissed off last week, so the four of us went back to our dorm room and looked through all the history of Middle-Earth series <laughs> uh, and found this one note where he says he doesn't know what Tom Bombadil is, but he's probably a Maiar. But it says it right there, and it's from his notes, so here you go. And so we talked about it briefly in class, and then yeah. Joe Bomb wakes up and goes, well, you're Iru. And we're like, no! <laughs> well, he very, Tolkien very clearly says that Iru never entered Arda. Like that was right. manly. We already know that. You know? Like exactly. Yeah. So like that clearly is not Eru. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I think I think Any dummy know. knows that. I didn't even take the class and I know that. <laughs> yeah. And I like I like whipped around. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like you open your brain, use your brain. Like, like it's not that hard. It's all right here in the books. Like it's not tough. There was one lady, older lady, um, who who was in, took the class, like somehow and she she like had a really hard time she i shouldn't she put thought it, this it was way. a, a c.s lewis class <laughs> she might have thought it was a c.s lewis class um do you remember She's Nick, like, where's this? the lion i haven't seen the lion there was people who didn't like the section where we talked about how tolkien didn't like lewis that much <laughs> yeah, yeah tolkien tolkien's journal dear diary c.s lewis won't leave me the fuck alone <laughs> Like, not great. But this lady was like, I don't like, you know, I don't really like uh, like Boromir and Faramir very much. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, why? Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And Just right like, off the bat, you have to only watch the movies to come to that conclusion. You <laughs> yeah. To, you have to. It's objective. And even then, a that's a little harsh. You're like, you're not paying attention to the storyline. If, even if, even in the movies, they're not that bad. I understand it's a subjective comment. But it's such a bad subjective comment that it's almost <laughs> yeah. an objective fact that you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, like, like, just, like, what don't you like? Like, like I'm, and I remember thinking, I'm not sure, but but she sat next to Herm, and so Herm took care of it. Herm, <laughs> Herm was like, "Listen here, comrade," because <laughs> Herm's a communist. Like, <laughs> Herm's like, "Listen here, comrade." I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but, <laughs> but like. But like Boromir and Faramir are incredible characters, and you're 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 talking nonsense. Like I don't like that Boromir wasn't very nice to the hobbits. He has a oh my god! Like, <laughs> like and that and that's how this class went. I it's a redemption arc. It's not yeah, Sean Dean. 
Yeah, the class was very divided. On the one hand, you had people saying they didn't like Arwen and Aragorn's love story because they didn't die together. And they didn't like Boromir and Faramir because they were mean, meanie heads who were kind of boring. And then on the other hand, you had us who were like, can we talk about how Boromir and Faramir are a direct understanding of what it means to be a part of the line of Numenor and how it's more faith-based than lineage-based and how it's a direct allegory to the Jewish people and Tolkien's understanding of how, uh, you know, being the people of God is more an inheritance and a part of your faith than it is about being a bloodline and birth. Then we, and, 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 and everyone's and, like, and, what? <laughs> and then somebody raised their hand and is like, can you but draw Boromir the map to Middle Earth again? <laughs> and then they draw, and then Jeff Long draws a map. Hey, to Jeff Long's credit, if nothing else, the man's a great, he had that whole map memorized. He could draw it cold on he the board. He was impressive. He was impressive. That, that was my, that's my, my favorite moment in that class is when um, one of the people in the class um, Dr. Long, I have a question. This is a perfectly reasonable question, especially for somebody who this might be the first time they're reading the books. The question is, at this point in the fellowship, because we're reading the fellowship, where is the fellowship on the map? Just so I can visualize it. Perfectly reasonable question. Yeah, sure. Jeff, Jeff Long's like, I would love to answer that. Goes to the whiteboard and draws a map of Middle Earth. Like, <laughs> draws it not like a shitty one like it looks like the one in the pages of the book (laughs) pretty darn darn good map i'm like that's pretty impressive you know and jeff Jeff long's like we're on this chapter well they are uh here you know and he kind of put the little arrow dunland you know around dunland and and lauren's like i'm sorry i'm just i'm not sure i follow it They're right they're, there. They're right there. I'm I'm pointing to it, it on the map. I have just drawn from memory in front of you. They're here. They're on this part of Middle Earth. How is that possible? <laughs> That's how it went. Like, but I'm still not following. I just, I'm just having a hard time visualizing it. <laughs> and like a Jeff would be like Jeff sitting there. He's either got a Siddhartha shirt on or like uh like a like a uh Sonny Bono shirt on yeah. or something weird like that. And he's like he's just this weird hippie Hindu guy. And he's like <laughs> and he'll look at the thing and he'll be like He kind of looks at us like did I draw it bad? And we're just like we're just kind of like, oh my god. <laughs> he goes, they're right there. <laughs> Right, and then and then he'll like draw like a compass south, <laughs> you know, like and he'll try to make it work. The Misty Mountains, they're right here. Yes, the Misty Mountains, I know what those are. Well, they are here below the Misty Mountains. Yeah, but how did they get there? They traveled. <laughs> they walked. It's kind of a, a walking story. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. There's a lot of walking in it. <laughs> yes, and then she just would be like, I'm just. I'm just not sure. Looking back on it, I feel like it must have been like she was like joking, like she had to have been. Like I would, that would be the way I would try to. Uh, I would. Try I have to, to like, assume oh, that God. whole back row group was like making fun of us the whole because we were the front row, they were the back row, and I have to assume <laughs> it was just like uh, who's gonna piss them off, who's gonna get them to just snap this week. 
how are we going to get them to just break? And they're just because we basically would because we're right in the front. They can see us. So even when we're not like screaming in class yeah. that everything's wrong, we're still like flailing around like, oh, my God, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> Do it. We couldn't put it together. I and that would be how I would break me, to be totally honest. Like, like yeah. I if I if I was given the task of breaking me in Tolkien class, that would have been my tactic. Draw the map. Tell me where they are. I'm sorry, I still don't get it. <laughs> how do you? How is this possible? <laughs> like, like I, I'm sorry, I'm just not understanding. By the way, I love the Hobbit movies. <laughs> that would be the other way. The Hobbit movies, which are of course are cinematic masterpieces. No, no, they're not. Um, if I can, I mean, you've seen the movie Total Recall. You I know? have not. Oh, okay. Well, the 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 point of Total Recall is that that. Uh, your memories can be exchanged and like they can okay. they can hook you up to a machine and they can give you a vacation to Tahiti and it's totally real in your brain, but it's not you never actually sure. extract mm-hmm. painful memories. Um, if we had such technology, I think one of the first things that I would do, well, I'd probably erase Crystal Skull first mm-hmm. and then the Hobbit yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the Hobbit movies. That's fair. The, uh, That's fair. And the sequels of uh, Star Wars, right? Uh, well, those are pretty awful too. But uh, I'm holding out hope that uh, that those get retconned. Uh, <laughs> I, I just think they should give Dave Filoni the Enterprise and say, "Here, make these movies correct," and then just throw the other three out and <laughs> just <laughs> maybe know. maybe the Jedi Order in, in Europe will have more pull. With that, we, we we can't spend time talking about that. We can't because we're three white guys talking about the sequel series that has become such a polarized thing. Apparently, we can't do it. We can't do it. We have to move on. <laughs> we have to move. We have to move on. <laughs> no, to. that's that's true. I found that my doesn't Rogue One do this better is uh, is a good like coup de gras. Uh, on this conversation because because then it's like oh i mean you've got a it's still a a female-led protagonist film with um actually who who isn't a wizard so there you go that's none of that none of that's the fundamental problem with that i mean i know the fundamental guys we can't we can't do it (laughs) We can't. We're gonna we have, have to have we you. Must we must move on? We'll have to have All you right. back on again so we can destroy Star Wars. <laughs> we can't be three white guys talking about how bad the sequel series. Is. That's fair. That's it's been fair. done to death. That's fair. That's fair. Um. So well, this was really great. We're, we we hit we hit about the hour. Um. Nick, do you want to plug anything that friend? Uh, should I name the, the organization? Sure. <laughs> the organization is Friends and Neighbors that Nick is a part of. Nick, do you want to plug anything that you're doing with Friends and Neighbors or stuff that you are doing outside of Friends and Neighbors? And I'll just say, like, whatever city you're in, wherever city you're closest to, there are homeless people. There are resources to take care of those homeless people. Reach out to them. See what they need. It might not be that they need you going out on the street with them. We get weird about who we take out on the street, Um, but see what they need. Don't just, don't just throw shit at them. Ask them what they need. Check their website, see what they are collecting at that moment. 
and organize and try to get them the things they need to take care of people because, you know, uh, Jesus said the poor will always be with you. And we're learning that is definitely true. Um, since we can't end this uh, homeless epidemic, uh, we're going to try to keep people alive the best we can. So just reach out, do what you can, however you can. It goes a lot further than you realize. Right. That's it. That's all I'll say. That's a good word. That's a good word. Well, uh, I will end it. Uh, friends, thanks for listening. It's been an episode of Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan. We thank Nick for being with us, and we will see you next time.